Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Whole Lot Nothing podcast. My name, as usual, is Roland Prince. You can find me on Instagram at Roland the Prince, and across the table is who? Who? Jamie motherfucking Lee. Wow. Where what, a, f- what an intro. Oh, yeah. Where can we find you on Instagram, Jamie? At James Life, life with an extra E. There we go. And the question that starts off every single podcast that we do, how are you doing today, Jamie? Your boy had a very productive day today. Hey, there we go. Yeah, I spent like four hours just doing After Effects work, learning how to do, uh, what's it called, um, Lower Thirds titles, keep working on that, because to do like one basic animated title in After Effects, at least one of the ones in styles that I was learning, has like 60 different steps. Well, damn, that's a, that's a lot of steps. Yeah, so it's kind of like you really, it's repetition, 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 just so that you know that you're not forgetting anything and all your details make sense. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. Definitely a meticulous type of work. is uh, like A lot of little details really matter when it comes to video editing and, and doing anything with that because like you literally see anything that you're doing wrong. Especially when it comes to animated stuff. That's true, that's true. I, with, uh, I don't do a lot of animating, but I, I assume it's pretty hard. But I do watch a lot of anime. Does that give me credit say, for anything? I was about to say. <laughs> I don't animate. Is, wait, wait. If you're watching, why is hentai called hentai not animating? Oh, my God. Because <laughs> hentai is its own thing. I'm not a personal fan what if, of hentai. But if it's like, but... What if the anime characters are strictly for coital purposes? That's hentai. No, as in for the purpose of reproduction. Is it animating oh my god i think that's just sex within anime which is hentai <laughs> which should be animating well you can petition the uh, the japanese for that they uh, they kind of coined the term so, yeah uh, seriously i think they really missed the door on that one hey well you know uh the japanese usually don't have a ton of wordplay with english it's uh, usually in japanese but you know <laughs> i'm just gonna, i'm just gonna contact uh some connections at the hub just at be the, like <laughs> yo what's up yeah, just, just, call, uh, just ask Mia. She pretty much runs that bitch. Uh, yeah, just tweet at Mia. Yeah, exactly. You'll get things changed you know, immediately. Okay, immediately. Hold up, hold up. Okay, here's, here's. I we didn't. This is another one of those podcasts we didn't explain anything or talk about anything. Co- co- total improv heading in. But let's talk a bit about Mia Khalifa. <coughs> what about her? One of the most versatile women in pop culture. Oh, definitely. And not only was yeah, she made her entrance within porn and and she got she got her implants of her of her her boobs and got those bigger, enhanced herself, then ended up getting into porn and doing her thing. And then but really since the past, like for the past couple of years, she hasn't even been on the porn screen at no. all. She's still one of the number one one of Pornhub's number one she are on top ten from um, time to time. She does like uh, she's a religious Washington Capitals fan. Yes, I know. I follow her on uh, on like, Instagram. Yeah, big big hockey, huge fan. huge hockey fan. And have you actually seen? She's uh, she does commentating as well. Yeah, she does commentating for the Caps as yep. well as uh, like we'll hop on podcasts sometimes. But here's one of the funniest things I read about Mia Khalifa a little while ago. Doing a little uh, little research. Re- <laughs> no, it was uh, a little research on your own in your room. As a di- <laughs> no 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 as a diehard hockey fan. Uh, it made it made the news in the hockey world, and it was she was at a game. Uh, it might have been I want to say it was the Cup Finals. So Washington made it to the Cup Finals, and she ended up getting. She would definitely be there if Washington makes the Cup, bro. Yeah, well, they won the Cup. That's what last I'm saying. Year, She's so. definitely there. So she she was at one of the games, and she ended up getting hit with with a, a hockey puck with a puck. Yep, 
and it ruptured one of her implants. Really? It ruptured one of her implants. No way. Yeah. That's fucking, well, she has the money to fix that, so yeah. she's fine. She was, like, honored. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she was totally she's, honored. Did, did she, does that, is that, get, is that called getting uh, puck fucked? Did she just get puck fucked? <laughs> she just got pucked. Puck titty fucked? <laughs> titty pucked. Titty pucked. There you go. <laughs> That's the new term. If you get hit, if you get hit in the chest with a puck, whether you're a dude or a, dude or a woman, that you just got titty pucked. You that's just got so titty good. pucked. Uh, that's a that's a new term. Is that the name of this podcast? Titty pucked. Titty pucked. <laughs> titty pucked. I wonder, like, she has to have slept with at least a couple of the players. I don't know because Mia Khalifa is not necessarily a hoe. No, but you have she's, to. She like, does, she's not out there hoeing. Like, it's one it's one thing to get a check to fuck some nigga, which she's done, and many a nigga, but. <laughs> And many, it's many, many at one time. That was but, like the perfect like culmination of Shakespeare and like Compton together. She's been smashing many a nigga, <laughs> but in a fortnight she will be. <laughs> I don't know, but anyway, not not only yeah yeah she's she taking <laughs> not only is she taking a couple checks to fuck a couple niggas yeah that's her thing but that's how she got her start. Now it's more like. I, I don't know from the vibe that I get from her because I watch her Instagram stories. I've watched a couple of interviews with her and, and, and I feel like I have at least a, somewhat of an understanding of the kind of person she is. I don't think she's the kind of person that just goes and fucks a bunch of players because she wants to fuck a bunch of players. That's not I don't know if that's necessarily her style. I feel like she's it wouldn't shock me if she hasn't. Oh, it wouldn't shock me if she had. Ha, but yeah. like, I don't think that I don't my think that's thing her goal like, to go like, I'm going to go fuck all these players. My thing is like that's she's my, so yeah. obsessive over the caps that yeah. like and she's she'd constantly be a, around the team that the opportunity had to have presented itself. But think about it: which one of these dudes has the balls to walk up to Mia Khalifa and trans smash? All of them, almost all of them. They're professional athletes. Still, I don't know. Mia Khalifa is a pretty intimidating they're, person to try and hit on. They're professionals at each of their professions. I, I guess, <laughs> and I, and I know that if you're matching Mia Khalifa, you're having a great time. But and they all know that would happen. But I still feel like I still feel like they get a little shook talking to Mia. I think some of them, some of them definitely would. I I would be. I don't get shook talking to a lot of people, but I feel like I would slip up on a couple of my words talking to Mia Khalifa. Why? I I, I well one there'd be the huge urge to don't look down, don't look down, don't look down, <laughs> eye contact, don't look down. Don't. And I don't I don't know. Just uh, she's a she's a very attractive woman that I have only really seen within one light at certain moments of my life. <laughs> and usually uh, those moments involve lights. one light on, you know, there were multiple lights. <laughs> there you go on her. Um, but, uh, freaking studio. I, she's she's actually, per, she's actually a person I would love to sit down and just talk business with and how to, how to, to really have her on the pod. A hundred percent dream guest. Oh, definitely. Mia Cleave is dream guest. Gordon Ramsay, also a dream guest. I oh just, my God. I want Gordon Ramsay to call me a cunt before I die. <laughs> I just want that to happen at some point. Just I don't care how it happens, but like preferably genuinely. I, I like it's him. like two pieces of bread on the outside of your head. What are oh, you? An idiot idiot sandwich. Sandwich. That's one of my favorite. That's the most savage shit of all. Imagine your boss walks up to you, puts two pieces, gets two pieces of bread and then puts them on the side of your head and asks you, what are you? An idiot sandwich. I feel like HR professionals have to watch Hell's Kitchen and be like, wow. <laughs> I feel like HR professionals love The Office. 
Because it's everything that they can't say or can't do within an say, office. I was about to say Brick, but that's from Anchorman. Oh, my God. It's, uh, I've actually never seen any of the Anchorman movies. Okay, they're so funny. I, I hear that from so... everybody, but it's just like, I don't know. It doesn't no, seem like my style no, of comedy. No, it's just, it's you, too Abbott, Costello, goofy movie. No, knowing like, you, you would love Physical Anchorman. comedy. Uh, I don't it's know. Not, it's not physical comedy. Okay, just that's it's, what I get the vibe It's kind of like of. Real Bros. Okay, so it's like a, it's just clearly a spoof. <laughs> yeah, it's clearly okay. a spoof. The best is if you have the chance, uh, even before you watch like the movies, it's better after, but it also gives you a sense of the character that Will Ferrell portrays in Ron Burgundy. Is he'll dress up as Ron Ron Burgundy and go on Conan. I see. I think I've seen that it's, one. I think I've seen that one. There's there's a couple, and they're so good. Oh, okay, so there's more than one of them. I've, I think there's like two or I've three. I've seen like three minutes of one of them. So There was one like Ron Burgundy came in and hosted a raps game or something. That's fucking hilarious. Or no, it was March Madness, one of the two. That's It was a couple of years ago. Damn. I might have, might have been in high school. I might have to uh, might have to go give this a little bit of a check, but uh but yeah, like I'd definitely be down to watch uh watch Anchorman. It's just not really been something that's been on my list of things to watch. Have you watched Boondocks? Nope. Well, there's something that you need to watch. You know, you give me something, I'll give you. Is that something. the black anime? It is a black anime, and uh, it's one of the one of the few, other than like Afro Samurai, one of the few black animes, and I genuinely enjoyed it. So, it's uh, I want more Boondocks. So, like, hey, who, uh, guys who make Boondocks, can you give me more Boondocks? I know everyone's been asking for more Boondocks, but I want Boondocks, and I want it back on Netflix. Shit got taken on Netflix, and I was cheesed. SMH. They do have they do have Inuyasha though, so I've been watching that since I was a little kid, and I'm rewatching it again right now. Inuyasha, solid anime. I have a huge blart. Okay, what we're is going it? we're going into the movie realm. The, the movie, movie realm. Okay, movie, not a huge blart, but big enough. Mo- yeah, but it's like the question is so it's movie, comic books, sort of fictional fantasy stories. Okay, here's my question: Why does it seem like? Every major superhero or protagonist in any sort of fantastical film is an orphan. Oh yeah. Why? Because Why? if you actually look at if you look at um so actually one of the best examples is I forget the actual name of the guy who who actually made this but like the journey of a hero there's basically certain checklists like within writing there's certain checklists that you you a certain checklist sorry that you work your way through and there's different little notches on this checklist that you check off and one of the few check like think basically how to actually make a hero in a movie that people will connect to and Star Wars literally does this no like so it's like check by check start without pa- parents so like first Harry off, Potter is, Batman it, Superman all, all Luke Skywalker name any big movie Luke Skywalker is the perfect example because he loses his parents and you actually don't he has he's basically he's a man of unknown origin. Where he doesn't know his parents, he's living with his aunt and his uncle, mm-hmm. and then his aunt, aunt, and then basically the people who are taking care of, care of him will die at some point. And when they when they die, he has to go on a journey, and he meets uh, he meets a tutor, who's his tutor, who's his who's his wise old man. Not not only Yoda, Yoda is at one point, but Obi Wan Obi Wan is the is the main guy who basically trains him, teaches him what it is that he needs to do. And what, becomes that fatherly figure. Exactly. Here, I'm actually just going to hear you entertain the people. I'm going to find myself the actual list and I can go through and talk about it more. Yeah, because I've always found it extremely fascinating how it's almost as if you can't be a superhero or in fantasy be an important character if you have parents. Even Frodo Baggins in Lord of the Rings but every, lives name, with name his any uncle. any major movie, 
any major storyline and you're going to find these. So anyway, here's the first. So first up, step one is an ordinary world. This, uh, this is where the hero exists before the, pres- uh, before the present story begins. And basically it's an ordinary place, very humble beginnings, nothing very extravagant. Now, Bruce Wayne's case, his parents were rather well off. They were at the opera when they got murked. But so, yeah, they had a little bit of dollars in their pocket, but that's still re- ordinary world, regular stuff that's happening. And then there's a call to adventure. The hero's adventure begins when he receives or a call to adventure, such as a threat to his safety, his family, or any sort of peace within his community. Mm-hmm. So then if, if you're looking at Anakin Skywalker, or sorry, Luke Skywalker, it's it's his village, get, like his village gets burned. And Anakin, because Star Wars does very well at mirroring each other. So even Anakin, it's, the call to action is to join the Jedi and leave his mother behind mm-hmm. uh, and leave Tatooine. So the call to action is something like literally Star Wars, every single check that I'm going to list off on this 12-step list, literally Star Wars does it. And Harry bo- Potter as well. That's the thing. But Star Wars is one of those ones that, uh, we, that we studied in school that really I remember learning about this point, in grade 12. Yeah, this yeah. is grade 12 English right here. And, and every single point on this, on this list, Star Wars does. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's like they read the list. They're like... All we have to do is follow these steps. Um, okay. And then legendary series. Anyway, number three is the refusal of the call. So initially they they hear yeah, the call the to skepticism. action. And they're like, no, I don't need to do this. I'm not the person to do this. And then number four. Because is, they're ordinary. Yes, they're ordinary. Now, number four is meeting the mentor. And the mentor in this case, Obi-Wan, teaches and instructs Luke on how to actually wield the force, how to wield mm-hmm. the lightsaber, and how to actually move forward within his newfound calling. And Harry Potter, that would be Dumbledore. Exactly. And number five is crossing the threshold. This is where the hero is now ready to act upon the call to adventure and truly begin the quest. So basically, they've gotten the, the training that they need from their mentor, and now they're ready to go. Now, number six is tests, allies, and enemies. So now finally out of the comfort zone, the hero is confronted with an ever more difficult series of challenges to test him or her in a variety of ways. Obstacles are thrown across their path, whether they be physical hurdles, mental, whatever it is. And what what's the first hurdle that Luke has to cross in Star Wars? I'm thinking A New Hope right now. So, so Getting this, off of Tatooine. There we go. There's the first problem. So he has to figure out how to do that. And then the next number, se- number seven is approach... To the inmost cave. The inmost cave may represent things in the hero's journey, such as an actual location in which lies a terrible danger or inner conflict, which is up to the hero to face. Hold up. Star Wars mirrors itself. And the brand new series in The Last Jedi specifically, Rey, tends to mirror exactly that. So what? read that again. The, the cave. The inmost cave represents many things in the hero's journey, such as an actual location, which lies a terrible danger, which in in which lies a terrible danger or an inner conflict, which is which up to now the heroes had not had to face. So here it is, okay? The last Jedi. Ray goes into that cave. Remember when she has to like face through the force? Yeah, the literal cave. Yeah, yeah. she goes into the literal cave and there's that mirror and that mirror shows herself over and over and over and over again. And I think that literally means that the biggest challenge she has to face moving forward is herself. Exactly. Is within herself. And I think that's actually like verbatim out of Star Wars. Well, the, this whole list was created before Star Wars, I, and yeah, Star Wars literally follows it to a T. I know. So it doesn't surprise me that in the, the newer movies, they're still continuing to follow that, especially when they introduced a new protagonist. They're mm-hmm. obviously going to take the protagonist and put them through the exact same steps that made Luke a legendary protagonist. 
Did so, you? Uh, I'm gonna have a slight blart. Okay. Oh wait, is that all of them? No, no. There's twelve. We're only oh, there's twelve. Okay, never so mind. Never number mind. eight is an ordeal. The supreme ordeal may be a dangerous physical test or a deep inner crisis that the hero must face in order to survive in the world in which the hero lives. And basically, they need to pass this ordeal in order to continue living in their mm-hmm. world. So, for I'll go back to the Harry Potter example. So, in the Philosopher's Stone, it's facing uh, Voldemort in the first one. And exactly. The, in the second one, it's Tom Riddle in the Basilisk. And the third one, it's the Prisoner of Azkaban. And the fourth one, it's the Goblet of Fire. You can go through any movie, any major series, any major any major movie, any major motion picture series, anyone that you want, you can pick them apart. If they're notable and they're known to like, if it's one of those things where you walk up to someone on the street and you can say the name of this movie and they're most likely going to know it, mm-hmm. it probably follows these 12 steps. Now, anyway, moving on to number nine, reward, seizing the sword, basically, like pulling the sword from the stone kind of thing. That's literally what happened in the first, in Philosopher's Stone and Harry Potter he too. Had, he had to pull he had the, the sword. sword. Or the second one, he had the sword of Gryffindor. So now after defeating the enemy, survival, or sorry, after beating the enemy, surviving death, and finally overcoming the greatest personal challenge, the hero is ultimately transformed into a new state, emerging from this battle as a stronger person with a prize. Which is Luke when he first wields wields the lightsaber in battle. Is that the prize, though? Because he he has to do that. He had to face his his foes, his enemy, in the ordeal beforehand. Mm-hmm. I believe when he's getting that medal with with Han and Chewie, mm. that's the reward right there from Leia. Okay, the, she's rewarding them. Now, moving on to number ten, the road blo- uh, Sorry, the road back. This is basically how they have to go back to where they came from. They have to find, now that their ordeal is over, their mission that they've actually had to complete that's been taking them away from where they've resided mainly. It's now going back to that place. It's the return there. And now number 11 is the resurrection. And the resurrection is the climax in which the hero... Literal resurrection in Harry Potter's case. Exactly. This is the climax in which the hero has the final and most dangerous encounter with death. The battle also represents something far greater than the hero's own existence, with its outcome having far-reaching consequences to the ordinary world and the lives of those left behind. Which is going to happen in the upcoming Star Wars films, which I'm very excited for. Exactly. Bro, Star now Wars... That, now that we know the template, now it's like, how are they going to do this? And there's one more. Number 12. Ooh. Return... Of the w- king. Return with the elixir. Mm. So this doesn't necessarily have to be an actual elixir, but... What the, what I'm what what this basically is is the final stage of the hero's journey in which he returns home to his ordinary world a changed man, and or woman or or woman yes sorry, we're not being we're not being sexist sexist here, and they will have grown as a person learned many things faced many terrible dangers and even death but now looks forward to starting a new life in the world hmm. that they're now coming back to. So if you go through, follow all of the, all of these steps, I'll read them at one more time. One, the ordinary world. Two, the call to adventure. Three, the refusal of the call. Four, the meeting of a mentor. Five, crossing the threshold. Six, tests, allies, and enemies. Seven, approach to the innermost cave. Eight, the ordeal. Nine, the reward or seizing the sword. Ten, the road back. Eleven, the resurrection. And twelve, the elixir. Follow any of these, sorry, follow all of these twelve steps and put them into a movie or a book or whatever, and you have the formula for any sort of hero story. Now, you can name any hero. I urge you to name any protagonist in any movie that doesn't follow at least most of these. Yes, but none of those say they have to be orphans. 
Um, no, no, no. It, it, it does. It does. It's the uh, it's the uncommon background. And ah. the, the uncommon background. Like I didn't read the whole the whole blur, but typically the person is an orphan or is unknowing of where their parents are or what their parents are doing and or has never met them and they're just like, in a situation where they don't know exactly of their origin. Let's just think of how many of them don't have parents. Like, just see how many we can list. Like, Harry Potter, obviously. Luke Skywalker. This sounds Anakin. terrible. Hey, guys, let's just name <laughs> famous orphans. <laughs> fictional orphans. Okay, sorry. Let's name famous um, fictional orphans. I would go I would go and say Anakin Skywalker as well. Even though he starts with his mother, he loses her yep. uh, and doesn't have a father. Um, so there's three. Yep. Um, you already said Batman, right? Yeah, Batman, Superman. Yep. Uh, Spider-Man. F- Spider-Man, The Flash. Yep. Uh, geez, like Daredevil. Yeah, Daredevil. There's another one. Where's uh, bro? You can keep on going for days, especially within the Marvel universe, DC as well. DC but as mainly well, within yeah. the Marvel universe, who tends to stick to a very easily digestible storyline, at least within movies, not necessarily mm-hmm. within within comic books, because they did do get more int- intricate with that. And more recently, with the Avengers movies, they've been getting more intricate with how they actually play out the whole thing. But they try to make things as easily digestible as possible for the masses. And this twelve step little program is basically making everything within storytelling for that it's a blueprint. It's a blueprint. And if you follow that br- blueprint, you get a good story. Mm. And if you get a good story, you get some dollars from people who want to pay to see that story, read that story, hear that story, whatever it is. I think heroes are always so fascinating because they can be replicated in different forms and they're always going to be successful. It's a story that everybody always loves. Because everybody but but the reason that is is cuz not everybody's a hero. But everybody wants to be. Everybody one. wants to be a hero, wants to be great, and that want to be great is what what keeps a lot of people going. And I think a lot of one of the characteristics, because that that's kind of like setting up the story and the arc of a hero. Whereas yeah. I think the characteristics of a hero, those also, are completely separate from yeah, this. I this think, is literally just within story writing. I think oftentimes the characteristics of a hero have to include they start out normal. They start well, that's out the ordinary world. Exactly. That's step one. Not just the world, but them themselves. But they're a part of the ordinary world. Yes. And so they become relatable. Mm-hmm. They become entirely relatable. So people can feel like at the beginning they start off that they're relatable and they can see part of themselves within them. And then as they progress, they start to see that within themselves too. Yeah. And and that's what that's really what this does is carries along. It's it, it, it really starts off from bare bones from nothing where you can see this person who might even be of a lower status than the person watching most likely is. Mm-hmm. And then seeing them come up, seeing them rise, it makes They're them... all poor orphans. Yes, most of them at least. Actually, not most. I, mean, I shouldn't say that. They're, I feel like they're on the extremes. They're either extremely wealthy or... or extremely poor. Yeah. But that's the, that's the best way to basically... It makes things super easy writing-wise because if they're really rich, they can just go out, ball out, get them some rich shit. And like, yeah. it's very easy writing-wise. You put... Basically, humans love categories. Humans thrive off categories, mm-hmm. and that can be whatever. Whatever it's like, because what the first one of the first things you ask a person that you just met is, "What do you do?" And based off that answer that they say, "What do you do?" You put them in a category of the kind of person they might be. You put them in a, in, a, in a box, basically, and you say, "Okay, well, this person's in this box as they're a carpenter, or they're a lawyer, or they're whatever." I, I see. I just did two extremes there, mm-hmm. but. 
puts them in a category of the kind of person that they're probably going to be. And that's not only, and that's something that's very strong for people within regular, ordinary, everyday life. So when you put that in a movie and you break it down even simpler and you can really show their life, what it is they do, and you break it down and make the whole world ordinary, make them ordinary, it makes them very relatable. It answers your unanswered questions of, and, and there's also, there's other unanswered questions that people just think like that need answers as soon as they say, okay, what is this person? Is that a boy or a girl? Cool. Answer, answer that question. Where do they come from? Oh, ordinary worlds. Cool. Oh, they don't know their parents. Cool. We know more. It just breaks things down to the blocks. I just thought of something about this that really clicked with me. What is it? Another character that's just like that. Jesus. Yeah. Exact same thing. Well, we know his origin story, but it's an obscure origin story. It is, but he starts from a very ordinary family. It's from my carpenter carpenter. comment. Yeah. Yeah. Said carpenter, his stepdad. Yeah. His stepdad's a carpenter. Mm -hmm. His, his mother's a virgin. Yeah. And then, and then he grows up. And if you go through the steps, uh, he's faced, actually, I don't know if he ever decides at least within what's written to not go down that path. Well, there's obviously there, there, there is, there is hesitation. There's always like, I believe there's a couple different writings where he's talking to the disciples about him knowing he's going to get crucified later on and him knowing that there's going to be reprimandations mm. for his actions. But I doubt, but I believe with the whole, like I, I'm not an expert on theology. So, but, but with the, uh, this is just writings, the scriptures that my grandma basically pulls up and saying, even Jesus was hesitant. He know he knew what was going to happen and still trudged forward. And that's the, the great quote unquote, great mark of a hero. But with, with that being said, um, he still knew from the beginning, at least within scripture, this isn't what I believe, but he knew within like within scripture, he knew that he was the son of God. This is a journey he had to take and a journey he had to, he had to do. He didn't open the gates of heaven when his God, when God told him, like, hey, oh, Jesus, you got to go open the gates of heaven so these people can come in. He's like, no, I'll play some it's games. Like, do that I'll do yourself. Later. He's like, no. Fucking I'll lazy. He's like, no, I'll do it later. And then he's like, all right, but if you do it later, you're going to have to do it the hard way. Go down to earth and open it up from down there. It's like, oh, fuck. So then he kept Why playing. don't you do this shit? He went and did I it. I am and- you. <laughs> That's, a, that's one thing about Catholicism that really trips me out. It's just like the whole Jesus being three people. He's not only God. He's not only the, the Trinity. Son, he's not only, but he's the Holy Spirit as well. And it's just like, all right, I, I guess that's something beyond our understanding. Honestly, I feel like a, I was thinking about this earlier today. I feel like a lot of religion or like what we deem to be religion was just aliens fucking with us years ago that we ended up like praising. We're like, oh, awesome. We love these guys. Like, like think about think about the the Greek gods. Mm. top of Mount Olympus, probably some alien shit was just flying by landed down there and was like, yo, I'm going to throw some lightning bolts at these people. And then they're going to call me <laughs> Zeus. fucking laser pointers. Like <laughs> some dudes like, Ooh, I'll blind you. I'll blind you. There's this cats running around behind it. It's like, I'm the cat King. Like, you just boom, had, like a bunch of like droids from <laughs> come down with their blasters, bro, bro. On, the, that's a little guns. I'm fucking dead. But the thing is, I, I feel like there's a lot of, a lot of stuff within within religion that can just be, literally just be like, yo, aliens came down and fucked with us. That's how they had those powers. It's like ancient aliens. It was the aliens. It was the aliens. But no, like think, think about like if how you look at the constellations and think, you see that the pyramids are lined up exactly how they are appeared in our sky. Now, how did they have the technology? It was the Aliens. I wouldn't be surprised, and I'm not. Like, I'm not. I'm not saying this is some crazy conspiracy theory. I genuinely believe in. I'm just saying it's just like 
Uh, it's just something that you know when you're sit- you're sitting in the shower and you're just like, well, standing in the shower. I guess you don't sit in the shower, but it's just like unless you're crying. Oh, of course, yeah. You know, I, I have my I have my daily cry in the shower. You know, just sit, curl up in a little ball and you know. Anyway, it's routine. Yeah, exactly. You know, just cry every day. Anyway, that's actually one one thing. Is like no no like don't go crying every day. If you're have, crying every day, go go talk to somebody. But. <laughs> anybody, anybody. Just don't end up like a droidica in, in the shower. Oh my god, just fucking rolling around. <laughs> Man, those things in Battlefront. Bro, those things are awesome. I love the droidicas. Yeah, but if you had to like They were annoying it, as if hell. If you had to face against them you in ever Battlefront. You ever played as one? Yes. Fun. But if you, if you had to like fight a droidica, you'd have to go up like three inches in front of it and then just slash it with your lightsaber because it's annoying because it's very, they, they can't and you have to, you have to you. wait until it pops out from ball form too. Yeah, I know. Or you have to break down its shield so then you can get to, uh, to the metal side of it. Exactly. Which is not an easy task. We keep getting the lights. Just yeah. Hold on. I'm going to go turn the lights back on. Yeah. We're, we keep getting the lights just dipping out on us, but I think it's really fascinating, though, that you have so many heroes that do follow that blueprint, and people don't seem to notice or make the connections between the stories. Or if they do, they don't really care that much. But there's been so many... It's it's a blueprint that works so well that it just... It's timeless. Well, the thing is, with with any blueprints like that, there's a reason why everybody everybody within the movie excuse me, within the movie realm, follows that blueprint. And it's because it works. It's what it's, it's what strikes a chord with the people. And usually, no offense to, to, to people who are, who are big movie fans or who love this whole blueprint, it's literally made for you, but people are stupid. Mm-hmm. And if you feed them something constantly and that's all they're no, used to knowing and liking, they're going to keep on knowing and liking it and it's going to become a norm within I movies. would go further. I'm not going to say it's stupid. I oh, think I never said it's is... stupid. It's fucking brilliant. No, I'm yeah, just saying yeah. the, the people that they're making, the, the, people are inherent, people are just stupid. They're but not, think, they're not looking for deviation from that. They're just looking for that story to be told in a different way. I think it's also, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. I think it's also, there has to be some sort of neurological connection between why our minds and brains respond to this story being told in particular like it has to be something deeply (coughs) well we've been telling stories this way for thousands of years and not necessarily with the same blocking and it took us a while to get the blueprint but what was the main source of entertainment before tv before radio even with radio stories that's the main the main thing and and people throughout the years really got good at telling stories in different ways passing them along this is one of the things we used to talk about in anthropology where the, the the history, the stories that we hear that were passed down for thousands of years, they were told in certain ways to to help people go along with it, to help people mm-hmm. want to sit there and listen. And then we just basically figured out how to actually refine that within within the more recent more recent years. By recent years, I mean within the last hundred years, with with film and radio becoming a major bigger thing and having major advancements. Now we just got better at it, and we just refined the process, broke it down, and it was really like, okay, this is what we need. And then, but the thing is, you even go back further. There's been books written like that. There's and now we just now we just found this blueprint that works. And there's so many movies that follow this, so many books that follow this, so many stories that follow this exact same twelve step process. And I guess that there's probably some sort of uh, like other than conditioning, just natural conditioning mm-hmm. over the years of these is what this is what we know to be great stories. So we think they're great stories because they follow this blueprint. It could just be something as as simple as we subconsciously grasp onto that or that was made to grasp into us subconsciously so that we're not thinking about it 
but when we're watching the movie, it's being played out anyway. That's and we've what just I'm been, thinking. I'm thinking for years, we've just been conditioned to like that. And that's why we like it. Or there's also the possibility that that actual story strikes a chord with something deeper within our minds. That's yeah. And something that literally like we, we were just sitting there going, okay, this is something we need to have with it. Like as humans in our, in our minds, it's something that we, we need. I don't know. There's a, there's I think a, it's almost, you can think of it in many different ways. I think it's almost like a biological hack. Possibly. Because it works so well consistently over time over, across everybody. That, that's true. Well, you can go across any single, any, any culture that makes movies, any culture that tells stories, you'll probably find the exact same thing. Exactly. And yeah. that's why I think it's something deeply rooted within us to respond to that blueprint in particular. I think that it could blue- be the conditioning of how we've told stories for thousands of years. Perhaps. But I think that maybe if you go even deeper, maybe we started telling stories like that because people responded to it the best. So it's maybe. quite it's quite possible. So it, it, it's possible that, that that yeah, the best storytellers told stories that way. Everyone wanted to be the best storytellers, start telling stories that way, boom, we have a trend. Yeah. Or it's that is actually the optimal way for humans to respond to a like a story of heroism. It's de- it's definitely possible because the thing is you always want to hear that a hero, someone who's done something absolutely extraordinary, ha- it has a normal background. Like if you mm-hmm. go watch any sort of documentary on any sort of pop star or or actor or actress, doesn't matter. You can if you go watch a documentary on them, what is it? What does it start off with? Their humble beginnings. Yeah. The same twelve steps telling a story. So you could you could be onto something there where it's where it's it could be something neurological within humans that it just allows ease of access through pathways that we've already created through different parts of our brain. Um but it's also possible that it's just something that we've been conditioned to enjoy. It, it's just as possible either way for from my knowledge at least. I think and this is a slight blurt away from the sort of heroism blueprint but continuing down the path of storytelling I genuinely believe that those that master storytelling in any manifestation, if they can become experts and have brilliance within storytelling in any medium, you will become immensely successful. Oh, 100%. And it goes back to that same, that same, oh, geez, you're coughing up a lung over there. Did you get any on you? Jeez. No, I got a, I have a cold. Uh, I'm definitely washing that pop filter after. (laughs) But anyway... I do, I do feel like, sorry, sorry, I completely, I'll let you finish your thought. You, you were mid-cough. Yeah, so I think you look at filmmakers such as like Steven Spielberg, and they tell incredible stories. You look at writers like J.K. Rowling. You look at hip-hop artists like J. Cole. You look at politicians, and what they all have in common is the ability to tell a story yep. that conveys emotion to a particular group of people. That's, that, that's literally any person that creates any content ever. Like you can look at any musician, any musician finds that niche that they're looking for and they create music for that niche that tell, that gives them a storyline to follow or, or some sort of something to grasp onto storyline wise mm-hmm. that create, that makes them the hero that these people need in that niche. Yes. But there's also, I'm just going to add the degree of skill and that storytelling delivery is what makes them successful or not. Because oh, anybody can storytell, but to be compelling, to evoke emotion, to make people feel things and act upon a story or question their beliefs because of what stories being told, that takes significant skill. It's also all within the 12-step process there. <laughs> There's 
every but if you follow that 12 step process completely if you i urge people to actually go out and google these 12 stages it's called the hero's journey you go and google those 12 steps throughout those 12 steps no matter how it is that you tell them if you tell if you at least tell those somewhat properly and you actually somewhat follow the 12 the 12 steps you will have to encounter every single emotion going up going down mm-hmm. If you pro- if you're properly going through that list, you're just gonna naturally, and you're writing a story along with that list. You're just gonna naturally go through different emotions. You're gonna go through that. You're gonna go through starting off with that ordinary as an ordinary person. You're gonna go through. Okay, this is an ordinary time. Or if it was if it's if they're in a good situation, it's a happy time. If they're a bad situation, you're in a bad time. Boom. There's already two very easily digestible emotions that you start the whole list with either mm-hmm. everything's happy everything's everything's normal or everything's you bad you roll through you roll through so then then you go off to where they there there's something tragic that happens there's your sad if your sad wasn't already in the original uh the original calm world where everything started you move on to the next step where something else go something starts to go wrong boom there's your sad there's your your heart is heavy then it goes into their their call to action and then there's your oh wow this person's full of pride this person's full full of like ambition and bravery. There's your, there's your, um, another emotional connection you have with that character because of the way the 12 steps are set up. Basically all I'm saying is these 12 steps, they're so perfectly made, so perfectly there, no matter how they were created, no matter who, who noticed, I don't even know if they were created by the person I'm thinking, or if they were just noticed by the person that I'm thinking and you wrote them down, which I think is more the, the, the plausible yeah, situation. Yeah, I think it's more so that it's been noticed. But, I just basically these 12 steps, you're going to naturally get every single type of emotion. Now, granted, there isn't really anything in there that talks about love. There is the whole allies and enemies thing where in in that if I read the whole blurb, which was another three paragraphs that I didn't think anyone wanted to sit through. Again, if you want to sit through it, go read it yourself. Um, but it does talk about how they encounter friends along their journey. So if you talk, if you look at Star Wars, that's Chewie, that's Han. Those are the friends that they meet along the way. And people who help, and, and C-3PO and R2, of course. But it's people that help further the journey with a collective cause. Mm. And you form a bond with them. Boom, there's your friendship in the story. And within those friendships, you can then incorporate different steps or different emotions within the act, within the way those actors, or, well, sorry, those characters in the story communicate with each other. And you can, you can toss in love within one of those characters in your allies in your allies sector or even with en- in your in your enemy sector. I was watching Troy today, which is I don't know why I sat down and watched Troy. It's with Brad Pitt. Yeah. But I was watching Troy today and there was at one point when they stormed the beach and they capture that slave girl and he's he falls in love with this slave girl. Basically she was initially an enemy. She's she's part of she's she's Trojan. She's from Troy. And they, that, that, that's right. They're Trojan if you come from Troy, right? I'm yeah. just making sure. Okay, yeah. just double checking because everything made sense. And I, I don't know. I've just never used Trojan and Troy as the same thing. Anyway, I've never met a Trojan in my life, but I've used a couple. Budding. Uh, sorry. I don't know why I said budding. That's my bell ringing for, for titty pucked. Uh, oh, <laughs> I have never titty pucked someone, nor do I ever plan to. Um, but. Uh, what was what the hell? Oh, anyway, sorry, I totally forgot what I was talking about. But anyway, this girl who's meant to be an enemy ends up becoming an ally, ends up becoming someone who's in his corner until the very end of the movie. The Montagues and Capulets, yeah, to an extent, because the Montagues and Capulets, you can, you can, there's a whole other situation there. But Romeo and Juliet is kind of that way. It is, like it the, is that, that way. Like those two as characters, not, not the story. Not in, of- this, not in the same aspect, because the slave girl was more. She's on their side, but then 
He slowly wins her over over time. Them two, it was just kind of they're in love, but their families have beef with each other. And I and it's Star-crossed somewhat lovers. It's somewhat similar. I can see the similarity that you made. It just the way it was played out is a little bit different. I haven't seen Troy, so okay. It's 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 a solid film. Solid film. There's another. There's another Troy I saw after that that's on Netflix, and I I didn't have the time to sit down and watch two movies back to back because I, I don't. <laughs> no one has that time. But um, ain't nobody got time for that. Um, but yeah. Anyway, moving on. I'm gonna blart something. And I don't know what I'm going to say. I literally have no idea in my oh, head of wow. where I'm going to blart, but I'm going to say something and it's going to happen and we're going to blart and it's going to be amazing. Welcome to the blart zone. Welcome to the blart zone. So here it goes. My attempt at blarting with still zero idea of what it is that I'm going to say. An improv blart. An Let's improv go. blart. <sighs> Three, two, one. What is your optimal sandwich condiment? <laughs> It was a heavy blart. <laughs> that was a fat blart. Well, that was a hefty, like thick, round bottomed blart. And is that just like sauces or? I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm just talking sauce right now because I've recently discovered a new sandwich sauce that of my own creation. And I know that I know that sounds kind of weird, but <laughs> new sandwich sauce of my own creation that it, honestly, it, it's an amazing, it's an amazing, it's, I, I haven't it found a better mixture on, yet. It depends on my sandwich. Okay, so if you're going, let's say you're going with a standard BLT, bacon, lettuce, tomato, for those of you who somehow don't know what a BLT is. I don't fuck with lettuce or tomatoes. You don't like lettuce on a sandwich? Nope. What about burgers? Burgers, I get nice, like, patty, mozzarella cheese, that's my go-to cheese on a burger, then I get some bacon strips, I get some pickles. You say you don't like bacon. Oh, no, sorry, you don't like tomatoes, my bad, my bad, my bad. I get some pickles. And then I get uh, maybe a bit of a bit of sauce sometimes. But okay, for that sauce, what sauce are you talking? If it's on a burger, okay, let, yeah, let's go with burger. If I've it's used on a sauce burger, on burgers as well. Usually ketchup. Okay, but I fuck with having some garlic aioli. Garlic aioli. Yeah, or uh, yeah, just some like aioli sauce. Mmm. That's my okay. Because my my con my my condiment of choice is this is something I was I was just in the kitchen. I love to cook. for For those of you who don't who don't know that about me, I love cooking. He loves cooking his jerk chicken. Oh, bro, my jerk chicken, legendary, legendary. But one of my favorite things I was just sitting in the kitchen, and this is literally just become my favorite sauce. I might actually just whip up a squeeze tube of this to, so I can start putting it on everything. But my mom randomly came home one day with this sauce. And she was sauce. like, I'm gifting you this sauce. I was sitting at the house and she's like, this is some sauce. I don't know how good it is here. She, I know, she knows I love hot sauce. She doesn't like spicy things. So whenever I'm there, she gives me spicy sauce. And I'm like, oh, I'll take that spicy sauce. So I go into the kitchen and I, I eat stuff with the spicy sauce. It's good. It's cool. It's been sitting in my kitchen for a while. But recently I took it out and I found some mayonnaise in my fridge as well. And this... It's a random hot sauce from Mexico. I could barely pronounce what's on the label, and I have a decent under- random, uh, somewhat decent understanding of Spanish. And I still don't know what this label says. I very qu- it starts with a V. I don't know. I can st- I put a picture of it on the WLN Instagram if you want. But that mixed with mayonnaise, I mix that up, and it makes the best spicy mayo that I've ever had in my entire life. And I'm not a huge mayo guy. I don't I'm not slather a spicy ma- mayo guy at all. I'm, I, I don't. I don't know why this just. It had, it had the after mixing it up, perfect consistency. It had mm. the perfect amount of spice where it's not because it takes a lot for spice to punch me in the face. 
but it has enough spice where it gives you that nice kick, but the added mayonnaise within it cools it down as well. Mm. So it brings you through the motions. It's a roller coaster of, oh, on this episode of Roland's Kitchen. I'd honestly love to do a cooking show. 100%. (laughs) If we could turn this podcast into a YouTube channel where we just do things and we also do a podcast, I would love that because I'd love to do a cooking segment. No, imagine if every episode was we are cooking a meal for an hour and we're just like having conversations as we go through it completely unrelated to what we're cooking. That, that's cool. That's totally fine with me. dude. If y'all want that, if y'all want that actually to be a thing, the whole lot of nothing cooking channel where we can just go into a kitchen, film us just making some, making a mess basically. And uh, we eat our food at the end. We have co- random conversations about random topics that are all over the place. Just like these podcasts. Maybe Make we'll sure get, to DM us at we'll WLM podcast. Maybe we'll get Ben and our first meal is going to be the Dorito steaks. Oh God. Yeah, I'm down. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm down. For those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, check out flamethrowers of the multiverse where we had, our dear friend Ben Green on, we discussed how him and I went into the kitchen in Whistler and we were completely underprepared with all of our ingredients and ended up using, instead of seasoning and spices on our steaks, we crushed up some nacho Doritos. And then uh, instead of oil, we used sun-dried tomato and oregano dressing because of its base. It's oil, oil, oil base, but still, like, that's, oh. Ah. It was good. Did you not have any butter? Ain't no butter. Oh, damn. That's that's an interesting, that's an interesting you tale. You will so have check, it. Yeah, so check out, I would eat it. I would eat it. Yeah, But I'm go. also the least picky eater wedges. on the planet. I am the most. So finding something that we could, I'd love to find something that absolutely disgusts you and be able to make it into something that you would enjoy. Fucking BLT. If I can, if I can make a BLT that you would, just like how you're trying to get me to go fucking shark diving. Just if I, if I can get you to go tomato diving one time, I sent you a link the other day. Yeah. The other day, I'm just just chilling, living my life. I was (laughs) at the studio and I get this, this text and I'm like, Oh, it's from Jimmy. It's just a wiki face with a link. Yeah, and I look at it, and it's a link to like this shark diving co- like company that takes you out shark diving. In and I was Hawaii. Just, yeah, I I did not. Re- I just closed my phone, put it down, didn't pick it up for the next two hours. I was like, nope, everyone can wait. Because <laughs> the thing that RJ knows is that when it comes to this sort of shit, like I think you're nervous because you're like, oh fuck, like I know Jamie's actually gonna make me do it. No, I'm fully. I, I know what you're gonna make me do. Yeah, and I'm fully fine with that. It's just I also am not a fan of think of little fucking teeth demons that they live in the water and eat humans. They they don't eat humans. Okay, they don't strictly eat humans. No, they, just, they don't. They don't even eat humans at all. Okay, they will bite me. They can bite me. They have the capabilities. That is honestly, I something. It's I also mean, why I don't go fucking around with lions. No, but here's lions. Are they gonna dangerous. eat me? Probably well, not. Lions can are they? actually dangerous to people. Here's my thing with sharks. I I will honestly say I am incredibly passionate about shark conservation because they are, you can make the argument, the most important uh, group like of like species or whatever. I can't remember, like familia um, within our, our oceans. That Without, we know of. No, like 100% it's sharks. Okay. Sharks balance out ecosystems by balancing out populations of different species. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That's something, yes, they're very important. They're integral. They're an integral species to the ocean. No, am and, I an integral species to the ocean? No. no. no Why am I going in there? No, but that's the thing. But the the notion that sharks are just out to be malicious, aggressive, and attack is just false. Yes, but People I'm not swim. going in there trying to cuddle with sharks. You're not trying to cuddle with them. You're trying to just you're you're swimming and they happen to be around. This is what Shark Week is for. 
which is complete. I I could not be more bullish on what a waste of documentation Shark Week is. That's fine. Shark Week is like as somebody who has grown up passionate about animal wildlife and conservation. Shark Week grossly, grossly dramatizes sharks in particular. Oh, and I'm fully aware of that. I know that my chance of getting hit by lightning is higher than getting bitten by a shark, and I know that. But do I still want to go and swim around with sharks? No. No, no and that's that's fair. But to say that sharks are going to bite and attack or eat people is just false. It's possible. <coughs> and Anything I don't want to be possible. I don't want to be the fucking, one piece of brown meat floating in the bro, ocean. Your, your fucking brother bit me. Okay. Like that's my brother's likely. a dick. What do you want? <laughs> like that was like I was in high school and he bit me. Like yeah. that's that's more likely to happen. Then of course, it's shark. more likely to be bitten by a human than a shark when I live with humans. How many people have you been bitten by? Shit, this is a higher number. <laughs> it's a higher number than I want to give. Uh, like Name 17. Two. Name two. Uh, my brother, my cousin. <laughs> I can think of your brother and maybe my sister. Okay, maybe like, okay, now 17, maybe like nine. See? People are more dangerous. Okay, well, I've also not been. I've also been around humans my entire life. If I, I'm sure if I spent more time, I spent the same amount of time with sharks as I did with people, I would get bitten. People kill about two hundred and fifty thousand sharks a day. There's also a lot more people than sharks. Yes, but they kill two hundred and fifty thousand of them a day. That to me is an, an uh, is an absolutely disgusting stat. I'm not and saying it's a good thing that we kill I, sharks. No, I, don't I just eat think sharks. that there's a lot that needs to be done because if we lose sharks, if sharks become more and more endangered and harder to find then everything else in the in the entire ocean is fucked oh 100 but i do there's going to be some sort of other creature that will come i'm not saying we should keep on killing sharks no they're peach they're creatures i don't want to tussle with but should we be killing them no but something will balance it out nature always wins yeah and that something is going to be the extinction of the human race maybe that's a good thing it is for the rest of the planet. It is for the rest of the planet. That's definitely good. Let's go to Mars and start throwing our trash over there. There's nothing else we can go fuck up over that we know of that we can go fuck up over there. So I, I honestly feel like Elon Musk, is, this is a kind of a blart, but I feel like when, when Elon Musk makes his Mars colony, which we know it's going to be Elon's colony, there's going to be a city on Mars called Elon, guaranteed, or Musk City. There's going to be a Musk City gym that you have to defeat if you want to be a Pokemon trainer. You're going to uh, have rodents called elongated muskrats. Oh my god! They're just like they're just like it's a dashing mixed with like a nutria, which is a giant rat for those y'all who don't know. It's a rattata. It, basically, it's a rattata. There we go. You're just going to find them everywhere on Mars. Uh, well, you find them everywhere at Pokemon Go, anyways. Yeah, that's true. What are, if they did Pokemon Go on Mars? Would rattatas be as frequently? Showing up, <laughs> probably not. They'd probably have like some Martian. And would Pokemon. they put little helmets on the animals? So they actually, little Blart. I read recently that Pokemon, Pokemon Go in particular, had about seven hundred eighty million dollars in revenue this year. Yeah, doesn't like, surprise me at all. This year, twenty eighteen, which still blows my mind that they're all they're pulling in three quarters of a billion dollars despite hardly anybody using it compared to what they used to in in app purchases. It's and for the, it's, it's all they need is those, uh, those few committed players that are willing it's, to spend money. In-app purchases and the fact that it still hasn't lost relevancy in Asia. Ah, uh, okay. There's the big. There's the big thing. Yeah, because it's so, lost. It's lost all of its appeal over here. Yeah, but over in Asia, that's where Pokemon was bigger. 
That's mm-hmm. that's why Pokemon's an anime. It started over in in, in, well, in Asia. Yeah, that's like so in 2016, Pokemon Go generated about 950 billion dollars, and that came out in the summer. Yeah, so that's like half a year. So that's nuts. That's basically it was on pace for two billion dollars in revenue. Yeah, which blows my mind how impressive that is. All you need is one small idea that makes people the main character of your story, and boom, there the you heroes. are. Dollars. They, it makes you, you come the hero. from an ordinary life. You come from an ordinary life. You it's look, your life. And you look and you're like, you know what? Should I go to work or should I catch Pokemon? Should I go and carp this gym nine times in a <laughs> row? Um, yes. What work? Work? Drake? <laughs> Drake? Drake? Well, by the way, Soldier Boy. Blurt. I have big respect. Blurt alert. I, I have do. big respect I for do. Soldier Boy. Because so they were funny. shitting on him in his everyday struggle interview. <laughs> Shitting on him, like, why are you starting so many companies? Why are you starting? So-? And he's just sitting here. I came from nothing. I came from food stamps, and I'm out here making. And you're shitting on me. You're making fun of me from starting companies, starting the Soldier Boy, like, which is, uh, or sorry, the Super Boy, which is a fucking Game Boy that he made, and the Soldier Box, which is a con- like he's made two consoles, a handheld <laughs> and a, and an at home console, and he's been selling those. They sold out. All the Soldier Boxes are sold out, and. Like they're shitting on this dude for starting random companies, and, and like he's like, bro, I really think Soldier Boy's making smart moves, smart moves branding wise, and and uh, incredibly, and, no, 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 I'm not saying brand, I'm saying branding entrepreneurship. wise, incredible entrepreneurship, branding wise, he could do some work. He needs someone, to, someone to hit him in the back of the head sometimes when he's saying some stupid shit. But at the same Drake. time, but that, Drake, but that's, that's honestly, it's become one of my favorite I favorite know. memes I on the know. internet right now. Just like the past we, three days has been, so oh, it's been good. amazing. I I. I'm a person who loves memes to the point where if you go on my phone all, and, and look on my Instagram, all of my saved memes, like or sorry, all of my saved photos on Instagram, some people will be like, oh, that's a that's a cool, that's a cool pair of shoes. I'm gonna save that, I'm gonna buy them later. Oh, that's a I, I know this person. I have a picture with that person, they posted it. I'm gonna save that picture. No, for me, my entire saved is all memes. <laughs> and I have different categories of memes on there that I save things in. I have like the dankest of the dank. That's actually the category I have, and then I have like general memes. And if you go, I swear I have more than 3,000 memes saved on my phone, uh, in my Instagram. Easily more than 3,000 of just the dankest shit. 3,005. Till 3,005. Oh my. That's actually, that's one of my favorite Donald, uh, I say Donald Glover <laughs> songs because I think of Donald Glover as a human rather than just Childish Gambino. But that's I one of I think of him as a god. Honestly, Donald Glover. Than a human. If there was, if there was a, if there was any person I could actually sit down and just talk to about their life, their decisions, and how what led them to their the point they're at now is definitely Donald Glover. Like that's hands mm-hmm. down because he's done everything that it is that I want to do or have wanted to do. He's done stand up comedy, he's done acting, he's done rap, or, well, music in general, and he's a person who's not, within all of those fields been extremely versatile. Yeah, and within his comedy, he has very different. He's very diverse with the type of. He has moments where he's super goofy. He has moments where he has like strong political opinions that he's making light of that actually mean something. But then also you go into acting, he can go from playing Troy on Community to playing fucking Lando Calrissian in Star Wars. Yeah, and then you can also go into his his music, his most recent album. Like if you go back and listen to uh, listen to Camp, my favorite Childish Gambino album. By the way, I've been listening to it on repeat nonstop for the past couple of days just because I heard my manager one day in the morning he was playing uh he was playing the song kids if we were kids i'd want to give you everything that you would want like that song if you don't know that song look it up it's called kids but childish gave me a fucking amazing anyway 
he was listening to that, and I've been listening to this album constantly over the past couple of days because that's the if there's one album that I've resonated with the most because of my personal life, because of my experiences within life, it's Camp. And if I were to only be able to listen to that album because it resonated with me the most, that's fine because I love that album. But anyway, he has such versatility from Camp to Awaken My Love. Within his discography, there's so much versatility that like there's literally you you name a mood, I can name a Childish Gambino song that that fits along with the mood. Like it's just he's one of those artists that has branded himself extremely well. He's very talented within everything that he does and I'd love to sit down with this dude, pick his brain just about every, his thoughts on life, his thoughts on the every industry that he's been a part of, like the good, the bad and everything. He's just a person I'd love to sit down and have a couple hour conversation with and just sit down with a couple cups of coffee, whatever. And just talk to and get, I feel like I would get so much out of that conversation. We and, should have this like whole lot of nothing um, round table, and it's like childish Gambino, Frank Ocean, Mia Khalifa. <laughs> if I walked into that, if you didn't tell me that was going to happen, and I walked into the studio, and you're just like, "Hey, can you set up the mics for these people?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure." I walk in, I just leave. I just close the door, go back to the kitchen for a moment, and just be like, uh, "Right, okay." And there we go. I'd, I'd need a moment because, like, if you managed to get. Mia Khalifa, Childish Gambino, and Frank Ocean all in the same room. Yeah, I might faint. I actually <laughs> that might just be over over because Frank Ocean's one of the only only uh, famous people I'd fanboy over, and I'd actually just be like, oh my god, this is fucking Frank Ocean. Oh my god. Actually, one of my, one of my photographers that uh, that that uh, that shot for me at Blues Fest, he's over in Paris right now shooting Paris Fashion Week, and he put a picture up on his story. He got a picture of Frank Ocean at Paris Fashion Week. Jeez. Frank fucking Ocean, bro. That's a rare photo. That's a rare. His name's Vision, by the way. V I, uh, V I S X I O N. Hold on. I will. Um, I'm actually gonna pull up his, his Instagram because I actually just do want to give a big shout out to this boy. His name's Mateo. He's an amazing. He's an amazing photographer. Absolutely, you'd love his his work. He has. He definitely has a, a very defined style. He likes. Mm. You just have to see his style to actually fully really get a get an idea of what it is. But uh, but his, his Instagram is V I S X N. His name's Vision. And uh, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, here's his, uh, here's his Instagram. I'm just passing it over to Jamie on my phone there. And absolutely fantastic photographer and a genuinely really good guy. Like super nice guy. Super like I got I was oh, I was just chilling and hanging out with. I met him a couple times uh, at just different events around the city that I go to. But when I brought him onto Blues Fest and we were just hanging out, like we were just hanging out all day. We remember remember we were going on the golf cart over to the over to the dining tent and whatnot, and like and shooting on stage. I feel like it's really important to have a good bond with everybody who's a part of your team, whether they whether they be the water boy, whether they be the photographer, whether they be mm-hmm. the DJ, whatever. I have a good relationship with anybody who's who's within my team, and I'm allowing in my zone, in my space, especially within my business within how my work which is me on a festival and having him on the on the on the crew was definitely really good really good experience so vision going v-i-s v-i oh sorry i have v-i-s-x-n v-i-s-x-n there we go yeah sorry i had to break that down the x confuses me (laughs) it's my dyslexia but anyway uh super dope guy super dope uh, photographer he managed to get a picture fucking frank ocean it's i I still find that i find that unbelievable but anyway there's maybe like 10 photos of him ever taken. That's what I was saying. He's just a ghost. Like you go to take yeah. a picture. He might be a vampire. You go to take a picture of him. He's just it not just, in the picture. Yeah, it disappears. Like, like uh, I remember I've seen little, like I've seen stories of people on online saying, oh yeah, I ran into Frank Ocean. I was just randomly walking through New York. I was getting coffee. I turned around. Frank Ocean's behind me in line. I'm like, how? How did you end up in that situation? I know. There's maybe like 12 people who can say they're just casually ran into Frank Ocean somewhere. Like the fuck? Yeah. Uh, 
He's a ghost. But anyway. You know what I think yeah. a lot of it is, though? Because he has so few photos taken of him, because he stays so far out of the spotlight, I feel like only the most dedicated fans actually know what he looks like. And, and You do that, not know what he looks like? No, I know what he looks like. Oh, okay. But especially when he dyes his hair, because I feel like that can throw people off. It like can. You see, you but see like, this guy with like red hair or something? You're not going to assume that's fr- Frank. I don't know because it's, it's I the would. cut. It's I the would, cut. I well, would, I guess, yeah, would. for me, being a person who knows of Frank Ocean and like I could pick him out of a crowd, then yeah. But like I feel like most people probably wouldn't. Or they'd second guess and by the time you do that, he's gone. He only he's made his Instagram public like at the end know, of last year. I know it was like a couple months ago. Yeah, it was uh, like, it, and the thing is, I've been looking for Frank, on, uh, Frank Ocean on Instagram for a while and just been like, where's Frank? Where's Frank? He's not here, but whatever. Um, at Blonded. Yeah, at Blonded. But um, but then, yeah, when when I randomly one day it was just on like I just popped up in my feed. Someone like tagged Frank Ocean. I was like, wait, what? Yeah, like it was just like I'm listening to Frank Ocean right now at Blonded. I'm like, excuse me. I click yeah, on I it. I'm like, oh my god, Dios mio. It was like that was the day that he went he went public with his Instagram, which is was kind of cool. But anyway, that's one of the few people I would actually like fanboy over if I met as Frank Ocean. But like Donald, yeah. back to Donald Glover. I, I, I cannot, like, this dude could probably, like, take up horse riding and archery and still be fantastic. <laughs> At the same time. Exactly, the same damn time. Legolas or something. Exactly, and by you the way. You don't get that Legolas is uh, one of the characters. By the way, a Lord little of bit the of, Rings. like, a side blurt. Have you ever heard of Lars Anderson? No. no. Lars Anderson is doing all the, uh, the bow choreography for the new Robin Hood movie that's coming out. And he is the world's best archer. That's so cool. And like, it sounds super like, oh, he's just an archer. This dude, he's just some crazy German dude who sits, who goes in a warehouse and shoots bows and arrows, sorry, shoots arrows with his bow at shit. And you think that, oh, that doesn't sound kind of cool. This dude can fire like five arrows a second. Jesus. Like separately, like, like what? And like, like he holds all of his arrows in the, in the draw hand. So he'll pull it back, launch one, pull it back. And they're all in the same hand. This dude's absolutely nuts with his accuracy. Dude, dude took a can, throws the can up in the air, hits it before it hits the ground. Then he takes the tab off the top of the pop can, throws it in the air, turns around, nails it. First shot. What? And this absolutely fucks. So if you get the chance, actually go and look, go and look up Lars Anderson, unreal, uh, unreal archer. And I don't know why I know this, but he just he's is. He's a larcher. He's, oh my God. <laughs> But with Lars Anderson being said, we have reached a little bit over our hour mark coming up on 62 minutes, which uh, I hope is okay with y'all because we just go on. I would, how did we get here from the beginning of our of our podcast? Uh, well, we started with Mia Khalifa and then we talked about the blueprint for heroism and then we kind of just blarted all over the place. I feel like we need to have a table of contents inside of the the description of all of our podcasts saying at what minute we start talking about which topic just to help people see like what's going on and see what the podcast is going to be about. Cause we are all over the place, but I like it. I like it. How mm-hmm. we don't actually say, I like this because we get to talk about all of our different little branches of knowledge that we have. We're not fixed on one topic, getting branded yeah. as one specific thing. So and it's improv, which makes it fun. Exactly. Improv is fun. For those of you who don't know, uh, Andy, and I almost said to call you Andy. Sorry, you're just one of the few white people that I, <laughs> that I hang out with frequently. <laughs> so, you know, they all, you're all the same in my head. No, I'm just kidding. That's insanely racist. <laughs> but, um, but no, like uh, uh, Jamie and I were both in uh in improv in high school actually like uh we both do we both compete competitively in improv? no like i, I compete pretty early but that's where we met i only did it for a tiny little bit yeah but mostly i mo- I mostly did it in class but it was still a super fun experience and 
it definitely helped with both of our improvisation skills and uh, and definitely getting us to uh, to know how to sit onto a topic, move on to a next one, be fluid within uh, within that space, and still be able to carry things at a reasonably decent level. But anyway, with that being said, thank you so much to everybody who tuned in. Again, my name is Roland Prince. You can find me on Instagram at Roland the Prince, and across the table, like always, is my boy Jamie Lee. You can find him on Instagram at James Life Life with an extra E. And thank you so much for tuning in. We love you all for listening. We don't have a question for the end of the week, uh, end of the uh, pod today. But you can answer whatever you want. You can just DM us at WLN Podcast on Instagram. We would really appreciate it. Have you, oh, Jamie, what are you typing over there? No, it's fancy hockey stuff. Just oh my crazy God. stuff. Well, anyway, with that being said, have a great night, and we will see you all on Wednesday. Nah. <laughs>